Leaping forward bionically. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of The Geek Down. I am Pat B in the house. Nah, it's just me. But on the line today, we have Shayna Shay. And Mr. Bond. Hello, hello. Mr. Bond is OG Geek Down. This is the man that brought me and Adam Wallace together eons ago, and we are happy welcome you back to the fold my friend thank you thank you you know i think it's um it's been almost 10 years we have an awesome time to be alive we are talking about the vast of nights from amazon movie it takes us to what what's the last bastion that mankind has left aliens uh yeah but you can say now that's it we also talk about transformers the war for cybertron now, Transformers is a long-running series and has gone through many iterations, many different versions, including the Michael Bay uh, well, live uh, movies that have come on the theaters. This series actually takes it back to Gen 1. All the designs are the first-generation Transformers that if you grew up in the 80s or at least follow that history, you might recognize. So we'll talk about that too in just a bit. Uh, but first, I'm going to kick it over to Shayna. Shayna, you want to give us a quick rundown? of what The Vast of Night is about. It's called The Vast of Night is about two teenage kids, one, one who works as a overnight switchboard operator and another one who works as a, as a disc jockey at their local radio station. Yes, this takes place in the 1950s. And one night they mysteriously hear a sound over the waves, as it were, and begin to investigate mysterious things happen. Now, how many stories do you have switchboard operators as the uh, as one of the main uh, people that you want to follow? This is the interesting story I want to know of, of the person many. you mentioned. Just a moment. Yeah, I mean, not many. <laughs> I'm not hating on it, too, because, uh, well, one, the act the actress, um, Sierra McCormick, did mm -hmm. a, gave, gave an awesome performance, but also this is different. You know, it's uh, not really the, the, the hero and heroine uh, figures you'd expect. And it follows them on a less action, more investigative uh, storyline, which I thought was actually kind of a neat, um, kind of a neat uh, approach for this kind of story. Also setting it in the 50s, that, that gave them some unique uh, line to tread. <laughs> <laughs> well, I thought you were going to talk about the McCarthyism all up in there too, but okay. Oh, okay. Well, uh, break that down real quick. Well, essentially, the cold, the um, early Cold War paranoia. Um, the Russians are coming. So you know, like that was a real thing that people worried about. The the worry of nuclear war was like a real thing in the fifties, and even into the sixties to an extent. Like. They had regular like drills of what to do. Not that you could do anything as a nuclear bomb, but just die. Yeah, <laughs> um, idea is, I mean, it's nice to give people peace of mind and maybe a ceiling tile won't fall on your head. The problem is depending on how close you are to that blast, it won't fall on your head because you've already melted from the radiation. Yeah, yeah your molecular structure is now soup. But this was also, no, you're right. McCarthyism is a huge portion of that. And in the story, there's little nuances that remind you it's the 50s. That's the thing that I like because uh, my comment about racism is it's something that's not often brought up in stories like this, where uh, this cat, these cats are talking about, 
um, okay, this aliens and everyone knows each other and people know each other by first names to the point where it's like, oh, I got in your car and drove away. Right. I like, are you out your goddamn, you know, yo, it's, it's on now. But it happens just like nothing because this is small town 1950s, yet uh, with all that just general comfort and familiarity, the second they're on the phone with the guy and he says, oh, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm black. I probably should have warned you about that. And everyone just like, <sighs> like I can almost feel everyone's butthole tighten through the screen. <laughs> It's like, it was, it was an uncomfortable okay. situation. It was very <laughs> uncomfortable. But it also shows you, when you think about it, all the people who had stories in this piece were people from a marginalized community one way or another. Whether they, yeah, they were black or a woman. Uh, we're not out of hand belief. I thought that would come back at some point. Because it's not like it wasn't a poignant scene, but when you present, um, and this isn't a spoiler, this is the thing that happens, and they show you a bit of it in the trailer. Uh, so you're in the know. They do talk to this, uh, to this elderly woman in her home, and she tells a very specific story that seems like it's going to be a Chekhov's gun situation. Mm -hmm. um, but also, you have to think about, or at least I had to think about, the fact that that scene is about 20, 25 minutes long in itself. It's, it's a lot of the movie. Extensive. You know, a good portion, yeah. Because hmm. the movie's only eighty-nine minutes long. Wow, that's a good <laughs> chunk of the movie. You know, on that one scene. But it didn't yeah. feel like you were there a long time. You felt like you were there just as long as you were supposed to be. Hmm. The other character, the other main character in the story, uh, this DJ, this uh, dude, um, Everett, uh, uh, played by Jake. I got his name here, Jake Horowitz. Yeah. Uh, he's a dude, I really liked him. He and looks so familiar to me, but I can't pick up from where. It's a Buddy Holly type uh, aesthetic he had going on here. I, I was trying to place it too. And the closest I came was uh, Neil Brennan. <laughs> I'm like, this is not the co-creator of the Spell Show. Like, no, he, did, he did a good, such a good job like recreating that fast vernacular of a 50s DJ. Um, yeah. Like, he, he like he had it on point and like the and kudos to whoever did research for the script because the, they're like for the most part they sounded authentic to the era which is sometimes really hard to do true some of them there colloquialisms yeah yeah you just kind of sometimes have to get the voice of the era and you know some of the slang from that, that term make sure it's you know still um you know, true to the era, but at the same time, not so foreign that, you know, today's audience wouldn't get it either, you know? Yeah. Also, I very specifically noticed that they didn't do, which I would not have been able to resist in the writing, is how do we do that whole uh, transatlantic action thing that's very popular in old TV? <laughs> Mr. And Mrs. America? Like, that's from the 1940s. Well, <laughs> Everything I've seen that had like old depictions of reporters, old depictions of news, uh, anchors, uh, radio personnel, anything that's before the 60s and maybe before the 70s, like even last vestiges of it in the 60s, seemed to carry that same speech pattern. And, and you're right, the cat didn't have uh, that one that I've heard on TV. He had more of the kind that I've heard on old broadcasts when I've gone in 
and research that stuff in libraries because you can. Back when libraries were a thing, you could actually we go into. It. They still exist. We can't go to them, but they're there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, they're there, <laughs> gathering dust. It's maybe like, one day. It's like libraries still have microfilm booths, but how many people go there other than people who work in like journalism or like college students? Who going looking for microfiche? <laughs> yeah, I, and I feel you. I'm right there with you. I also feel I owe you an apology because I got very strong parallels uh, between uh, Faye, our switchboard operator, and uh, Everett, our radio DJ, and the dynamic between you and me. I feel like I owe you an apology. <laughs> I might be a little pushy. Wait, who's him though? <laughs> I don't know. You I might be that. more like because Faye is also very earnest and like. Um, no, she's a little more pure in spirit than ever is, and I feel like I'm way more jaded. Hmm. Wow, okay. I never thought I would uh, identify with a 12-year-old girl. She's but, 16. Uh, <laughs> she's 12 for the purposes of my headcanon. <laughs> I mean, she better not be 12 smoking cigarettes, hanging out with boys in the middle of the night. Again, yeah, the 1950s. Dude. Yeah, that's what they did then, so, you know. Not She's 12. Yeah, 12 years old was common 12. to smoke 16. cigarettes. 16 was like a common age to be acting adult-like because you were a high schooler. And also at that point, a girl should be looking for essentially a husband in their eyes. So True. All of, I'm all about that. I saw this documentary. 12 year on the <laughs> it, was, it was all about that. All right, but now the movie's called Vast of Night. I actually have to really applaud the um the performances. We talked about only a couple, but there's a lot of people in this yeah, no, who are you only see for minutes at a time, with the exception of 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 two, with the exception of the uh the elderly lady in her house mm. and the other on the phone. You only hear his voice. Yeah, you I never was, see him. I was just like captivated, like, yo, this dude is telling the story. Funny with he never he never needed to say he was black because as soon as he started talking, I was like, Billy's black. Um, yes. <laughs> you know. <laughs> he comes on the line. Yeah, so what happened was like, there's me so much and my father had gotten into some trouble. Like, yeah, so like, like if you're if you're black and live in this country, and if you have any southern relatives, you've heard Billy's voice. <laughs> yeah, he wasn't. Yeah, he wasn't pulling any wool over our eyes, but they were shook. And he tells the story of hearing this audio frequency. Now, the thing is with this noise, that's like the one thing bringing everyone together. Um, some stuff is explained and some stuff isn't. This is a proper like mystery yeah. presentation. They present, you hear the noise, and then you hear people calling about it to the switchboard operator. Now, this is the thing I didn't know was common or not. The switchboard operator was also your direct connection yeah. uh, to, to the world. Can help. Well, yeah, you didn't call people directly back then. You called the switchboard, and the switchboard directed you to where you were looking for. Um, yeah. It's so weird because it really wasn't that long ago. Like it, it was within our parents' lifetime that you still had to call the operator to connect to somebody. The whole concept of the operator is uh, foreign to us now because we've just come so far. But every time they called, uh, they called Faye, and the call was disconnected. 
that was the thing that I thought would have been a clue that came back. And they leave a lot of stuff open-ended, which uh, at first I thought, like it was kind of killing my review because at first I thought this is just a lot of un, uh, like a lot of threads they've left like frayed and blowing in the wind until I realized it all goes to the mystery of you hear from those people and then you never hear from them again. But not like you hear from them again, like they're dropped off characters. You don't hear from them like, oh, maybe these are alien abductees. Maybe these are kidnap victims. It adds to the mystery. And it took me a while to realize that was a part of the story. Like this was very well put together in how they make it seem haphazard at first until you get towards the end when stuff like wraps up. And I thought that was dope because I'm watching this like, oh, yeah, just what the fuck? Oh, 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 oh. You know, I wish they really would have promoted this movie more, you know, yeah. and put it out there in the public. Yeah. Because a lot of people are starved for content and they're looking for new things to watch. And this is definitely one of those underrated movies where you have to invest a little bit of your time, but the payoff is great. You're going to have, you know, things to think about and talk about, and you're going to remember and be mindful of a different era in a time while also getting, you know, great piece of story and sci-fi at the same time. Yeah, no, this movie was extremely low budget. Like, it's kind of amazing how much they got done with literally under a million dollars. Like, this was this movie cost that's unheard of nowadays. Hundred thousand dollars to make. Yeah, and you know what's really funny? Got rejected from all the big film festivals. Like they did, they wouldn't even accept it. They applied to all the big ones, Sundance, all of them. They they were like, nah, we good. Yeah, the Twilight Zone is definitely going to be a big influence on that. You know, of course, you know Rod Sterling, he did a great you know service to television as well as, you know, the science fiction community when he created The Twilight Zone. And of course, you know, we have the remake on CBS All Access that's currently doing their second season, which, you know, Jordan Peele, of course, has his hand in, in this project like he, he does in others. So um, it's definitely uh, one of those type of movies where you're going to really think about it and just, you know, want more, you know, you got, you got a great story, but you're going to want to definitely see more from the cast and the crew and, you know, the person who uh, wrote it as well. You want to make sure that, you know, people who make great material like this continue to create content, especially for, you know, Amazon that's trying to, be the the next big thing you know and take on hbo as well as um you know the disney streaming and uh, all those other great great things that are out there so hbo's been messing up disney plus has been messing up and the whole thing is yeah they have. for both of them hulu has been spanking them who existed longer and has longer to perfect their method but I just really like that there's a place that independent movies could go and be seen. Um, that's the biggest problem with the streaming 
um, movement yeah. is that the independent films get lost. And I was like a big fan. Like I started getting independent films when I was like in, like in the 90s. And I, there were so many first there were. I fell in love with back then. And I was just, and I would hate to think that that accessibility will go away, you know? So I'm glad that this, like, an opera, because even like the film festivals are moving more and more towards things with names attached. And I just, it was just so nice that this got a shot for wide distribution through Amazon. Like that, that was a really good thing. And, and this yeah. wasn't really brilliantly done considering the shoestring budget budget and that amazingly done um long take that they did, which um Pat I sent you a video link that explains how it is anybody else, I would totally recommend checking out how they did that because it was like so low budget but so brilliant and it really pulled together to the mood and theme of that scene. And yeah, like I'm just glad that it got a chance. Well so I take it this is a thumbs up for you then. Yeah, definitely. Thumbs up. Way up. All right. No, I'm definitely feeling this one. It was uh, The Vast of Night. I'm actually really happy that this one, that it was such a, I don't know, not suck experience. I, I was, I don't know. It, it, it's, it's, it could have been touch and go. It's a, it's the kind of story they've done a lot. And I was just like, come on, man, not not another one of these. Like, like, what is this, uh, number 173 on the list of alien possible abduction, possible conspiracy stories? I'm waiting for the government dudes to ride in on this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and make it clear, they know. It's not, it's not a thing. <laughs> I'm happy for that, too. Um, it's called The Vast of Night. It's available now on uh, Amazon video. Uh, if anything we said, actually, you know, you check it out. Because, dude, thumbs up for me, yep. thumbs up for Shay. Fantastic. All right, so now, now, uh, whew, let's you and me, Mr. Bond, talk about Transformers, the war for Cybertron. Uh, I am going to say I have been pleasantly surprised and pleased with the story. Okay, all right. Well, we'll, we'll yes. break down So, Transformers growing up, that was always one of my favorite franchises coming up as a kid. You know, I was always a big fan of uh, Generation One, and of course, you know, the original movie. Uh, and then, you know, you get into, um, you know, Beast Wars and Beast Machines, which, you know, was a funny thing where, you know, a bunch of a bunch of tough guys in the Marine Corps at the time I was freshly new to the Marines, but we would always get up super early and eat and watch Beast Wars and Beast Machines. And then we would go about our day, you know, whatever. But it was something collectively that we all love to do. And, you know, we all grew up with the franchise. And now, you know, it's it's great to see it continue to new generations and there's stuff for kids to enjoy now. And, of course, you know, the Michael Bay movies are very dodgy uh, here and there. We don't, we don't. 
<laughs> he didn't direct any movies. He only he only produced that Bumblebee movie. I don't know what else you're talking about. Well, you know, I still like the first one. You know, the first one, you know, the first one you gotta was- give it. Yeah, you gotta give it to him for the first one, and then every other he, one shows. He barely dropped the ball on the second one, and then no. they just kind of all run together after that, like the Fast and the Furious movies. So I mean, it's also because Michael Bay is a hack. You know. Which is funny because the Transformers franchise, the movie franchise, is so big and they have, I don't even know how many movies they have. I kind of stopped counting. Uh, But yet you have John Wick, which is, you know, small little bite-sized morsels of great action and adventure that everyone looks forward to every new, you know, chapter. We need to have several conversations. Shana will tell you in detail how how different and divided we are on each of those franchises. Uh, I love Fast and Furious. She's just kind of okay with them. Uh, Transformers, I have come to hate with a passion. I hate it. She yes. tolerate to a degree. <laughs> and John Wick is a series that I started off loving, and she was just kind of like, eh, it's okay, it's pretty good. And then I eventually was like, why they keep they, they can't they gotta stop they have to stop no what are you talking about you crazy and i'm just like <laughs> yo come to fisticuffs it's a good thing we were remote yo she about to stab she about to stab fools through the screen shane is crazy you don't know about that i never heard my laptop like that my precious so this new transformers television show on netflix it's um a digital American anime hybrid, I guess it's yeah, actually done by Rooster Teeth, the same people who bring us things like uh, like the Ruby series, Red versus Blue, back in the day. Fantastic. Uh, the uh, ultimate success stories of independent animation. I mean, they start off as just now out these videos on YouTube to now they are well producing big ass uh, Transformers for Netflix and a powerhouse in the animation industry. Kind yes. of, sort of. They might be in trouble, but okay. Yeah, they might be in trouble, but you know, they they gave us another gem with this one. You know, I I have to I have to say this is more of a you know an adult, you know, well, maybe um more PG-13, PG, PG-13 uh, rendition of Transformers to where, you know, it's a an adult kind of take and theme and it's in the middle of the Great Civil War on the planet of Cybertron. The, uh, the visuals are definitely top-notch. You know, if you know anything about uh, the design of the Generation 1 characters, it fits, you know, you can instantly tell who's who, but at the same time, they look like real robots fleshed out, um, each one with their own look and feel um, and voice. Adherence to the original designs, too. This story in itself is uh, you mentioned the Civil War, which isn't a thing where you get to see that often in many Transformers properties, uh, especially as of late. Uh, the Transformers property really started off as 
on the planet Cybertron, there was a break between the Autobots as one class of, well, Cybertronian bot and the Decepticons, even though the names as we know them are very blatant, the Autobots turn into cars. The Decepticons are deceptive. But that was actually two factions of one society where the lower class and the underdogs, the rebels, were the Decepticons that got together and formed a faction to kind of overtake the more oppressive hierarchy, which was the Autobots. And it was high society versus low society and the rising of the proletariats. And that's very... Um, yeah, it, it's different from what we've seen before. And it's a, a refreshing take on it. And you understand why there's this big war and this break in society. It actually gives it you know, more reason and meaning and you understand the motivations and why people got twisted and things happened. And, you know, it felt like a real war. Like, you know, nobody was really innocent. And, you know, there were things that everyone had to do to survive. And, you know, you you started out one way and then, of course, everyone eventually evolves into something else because of this, you know, they're responding to this uh, unnatural phenomenon in their in their environment. An extinction level threat that they're all dealing with and within their own society, within their own um, uh, 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 structure of um, hierarchy, that's what I'm trying to say. Right. Within their own hierarchy, you've got breakdowns of, uh, of respect and chain of command on both sides. One thing that this touches on is, as a leader, Optimus kind of sucks. <laughs> he did. He did. <laughs> you know, and, and that was one of the things I loved about the series is that they're allowing a lot of the characters to kind of grow into themselves and become what we, you know, knew them to be. Like Optimus, you know, He's not the John Wayne type of character he was, you know, in the 80s cartoon. He's, you know, the reluctant guy. That's I mean, I also think it might have something to do with, like, social changes. Like, I feel like nowadays we would question more if you said, oh, well, there's this absolute good and this absolute evil. And without actually explaining why. And also, we also know, like, in real life, when you have in equity and social structure, you're going to have unrest. <laughs> yeah. And true, it also shows how that manipulation from within on either side really works to the advantage of those who, the, the squeakier wheels. Um, Megatron uses propaganda. Yes, he does. Just an iron fist. He's, he's, he's good. He's very, very good. Like he, yeah. like the first time you see uh, Megatron, He's, you know, he's coming off as, you know, like he wants you. He, he it's almost like he's a refined gangbanger or something. Like, you know, get down or lay down type of situation. And everyone, he's such a physical, demanding presence with everyone that he meets. You know, he commands the screen, and I love the strong writing and the dialogue that they gave, you know, to the story. And, you know, you get all of your classic characters too. Yeah, Jetfire was there, Starscream was there, 
Optimus was there, RC was there, Bumblebee no. was there. I liked Bumblebee. Likeable Bumblebee, you know. Yeah, not peeing on people, Bumblebee. Yeah, and not, you know, the little, name. you know, human foil type of robot guy from the original series. This was, you know, one that was resourceful, who could do things, who, you know, had different choices that he had to make, you know, in a difficult time, you know. Uh, one thing I did notice definitely on the uh, concept of it being a war <laughs> epic, they presented this correctly. They presented this as a um, it, nothing is uh, black and white, nothing is uh, ultimate good, ultimate evil. There's gray areas everywhere where there are people who don't entirely feel entirely connected to their cause. They look at it as the better or worse of two evils, which I thought was very um, uh, was very interesting and very well presented. They have characters who are, um, they're not entirely uh, comfortable with what their side is doing, but they acknowledge this may be for the greater good, but we don't have to go about it this way. And there's like actual uh, uh, insight into their views. Like there are conscientious objectors presented, right. this, which you don't really see kind of uh, presentation of a uh, battle scenario. There are people who, um, oh, damn it, I had, I had a good point. I was, I was going to throw it, it takes place on multiple fronts, like especially uh, in that in that final um, mm -hmm. big battle. It's like this is how a war epic is presented because it's not just I have one, I've got the Spartans and I've got Xerxes' army, and bam, and that's all the conflict. It's I've got these guys over here trying to accomplish this main mission. I've got these guys over here on a fetch quest, which is very pointed to the main mission. I've got these guys over here who acknowledge that they are pretty much a decoy force. I've got this, uh, this, these ones over here who are entirely on support and powering the effort, and all this has to come together. And on the other end, I've got this, um, this, en this enemy unit who's infiltrating. I've got this other enemy unit who's questioning the fact that they're there to absolutely massacre and nothing else. And I've got this propaganda machine pumping it all through like no what we're doing is for the greater good and for cybertron and we've like all of this it's a complete story which i didn't think they could do in six episodes because it is only six and they're very really short hard. too they're you know like you you think that you would have we would have gotten you know like they did with voltron and and maybe get you know 12 episodes you know maybe an hour each one but no, it's very short. It's straight to the point. They they somehow managed to get, you know, a great amount of animated action in. And it's very well done. You know, there are real stakes. You know, there's, you know, there are robots, but yeah, they can still be destroyed, you know, permanently. So, you know, that's also, you know... And they have this whole theme of starving to death too, which is always a running theme of of you know the show. I've never seen it presented as well as it was in this particular series because we always we're always aware of their hunt for Energon. Right. Stood why? As far as I knew, watching the show growing up, it was just a very boring way to explain that. Nah, our cars need fuel, and this, right. Yes, our cars need fuel. But where are the cars? We need the fuel and we're starving to death because we don't have that. And it's not like, you know, we're, oh, we're starving to death. So we go on a mission. It's, yo, I have to go on this mission because I'm the only one 
Like, you can you know, do it. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, you look around this room. Everyone else is laid out. out. <laughs> passed out or dead. Yeah. So, uh, so that was real and that was raw. I didn't expect that too. I like this show. Yeah. Uh, I would say though, I definitely have to show have to say, um, one, if you're not a Transformers fan, like I see Shana's eyes glazing over. I do. I'm sorry. I loved Beast Wars as a kid, so like I've been watching Transformers just as long as anybody else. <laughs> okay, I'm just giving you stuff. But if you're not into um Transformers the story, you may not find a lot here because especially if you're of a of a of a younger generation that came up with the Michael Bay movies, or even some of the uh, later anime series, they're far more action the Michael Bay movies are your only story driven. So the actual um, interpersonal, inter, interpersonal relationships are the forefront. Uh, Optimus and will the loyalty of his uh, remaining uh, rebels be enough to carry them forward because he's facing outright dissension in the ranks. Dissension yeah. is from his second in command. His second. That's a, a faux pas. Like, she's challenging him in the middle of his speeches. Like, yo, you take this to a side room. We go in the ready room and discuss. You don't step in front of your commander. Like, what? And then, and yeah, Mega Man would have shot him. <laughs> yeah, he really would have. Uh, and I like I like the presentation of the Decepticon. We get a lot of Starscream, even though Chris Lotta's been long dead. The dude who uh, was doing that voice was channeling. Yes, he was. It's really ambitious little weasel. Uh, and who knew how to fight, though? You know, he, yeah. he, he still took his lumps, but you know, he still he still knew how to fight. <laughs> yeah, dude, I like the series. I'm gonna give it a thumbs up. And the nice thing about it is, is that it's a. Um, a continuation from the original story so you know that they're going to continue on with uh the beloved beast war series so we know that that's coming down and that's going to be a part of uh the story in the upcoming other parts of the trilogy so <clears throat> well, this I'm, was part one we'll see what they can actually present and if they can carry the same momentum I'm really hoping they 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 do. Also, uh, I wasn't trying to be rude there real quick, uh, but one thing that I remembered that I had and still haven't uh, closed the box on that I felt really needed to be seen was one of the- Ah! <laughs> Eject. That G1, <laughs> that G1 sound wave. I won't-, I won't yeah, Like, I love that he turns into a boom box. Down. Like, that's so 80s. Yeah, dude. The, uh, like the, <laughs> the outdated I'm, tech just, I'm just curious if a tape pops out of him what is that oh laser beak laser beak yeah rumble so uh, he keeps his he keeps another robot inside him he keeps another robot he has got he's got a few of them he's got three or four or five or something like so that so many questions considering Sets they're all the sentient life forms it's weird well, they don't live there. That's how they're transported. Yeah. You know, it's still kind of weird. Symbiotic, it's a symbiotic relationship because he's the he's the communications expert, which means he also has the birds that do recon, infiltration, and spying. Mm -hmm. He's got the panther. He got the panther. The tapes that come out of the boombox. Yeah. 
transform into into like crows that fly into the panther the panther that uh that stalks. Then there's the little guy that you know he's small, but he's like extremely. He's like as tough as the bigger ones, and he can cause earthquakes with the with the pile drivers. His arms turn into so. It was a clever series, and this and this, uh, this continues that. I'm I'm hoping also that since we started with G1, and they've taken uh, things off uh, off world off Cybertron, that they will do the each generation of uh, Transformers. So we might get. Uh, beast machines. Um, we might get uh, damn. What's the other area? like? Like things like Dinobots popping up out of nowhere. We'll see. I'm just speculating for now because I came away with good impressions from this first installment. So it's a thumbs up for me. How about yeah. you? Huge, huge thumbs up for me. I'm looking forward to them continuing this and and bringing us other you know other reboot franchises. Normally when they, they do reboots, you know they don't. They don't hold up, but this one is definitely uh, a great addition to you know some a good series. It's a, it's a highlight to the franchise. Sounds like it's very much for the fans. I say it's more for everybody. But yeah, but like it play, but it does seem like like I've seen it, so I can't speak to that. But the way you guys describe it, sounds like it it gives you just enough. Like like not so much fan service, but contextual fan service for people who have been fans of Transformers for a while. No, like I'm not saying it wouldn't be good for the first time. I was saying it sounds like it pays the right amount of homage for people who have been fans for years. Which is I don't think so, and I think that's a that's a selling point. Yeah, you know, and you know, I definitely, I gotta tell you, the the animation is definitely, you know, it's it's great. It really is good, you know. Rusty Teeth does know how to make a fight scene look good. Yes. And right there. Right there. <laughs> you know what that is? Like that well, guy. Maybe, maybe they will reference that one day for you. Just what do you mean reference it one day? That right there was in the... Oh, it was... It was. Maybe yeah. they'll do a whole side story of Boombox Soundwave and his friends. Yo. Like a little short. All I need, like, I'm, I'm satisfied. Because they not only had Soundwave, they had Sound Blaster. They did. Sound Blaster. They had Sound Blaster. They acknowledged that he's a clone of Soundwave, that he was uh, made by Shockwave uh, as a yeah. field experiment. It's like it was like all that is all that is canon lore. And the thing is, they didn't like force those stories. It's just like if you know, you know. If you don't, you got it in the line and you moved on. And I love that. I also love that he was kind of to do it. He was this, he was this crazy, yeah, uh, weird, crazy side. It it was great. It really was. All right, I could nerd out on this for hours and hours, but we are out of time, y'all. I want to thank you for joining us for another action-packed, fun-filled geek down. I want to thank Mr. Bond. Thank you, sir. I want to thank Shayna. Nice to be here. And I want to thank you, the lovely listening and viewing audience, minding you. If you heard anything on this show you want to chime in on, hit us up at geekdownradio at gmail.com. Also, do go to geek-down.com for the latest and greatest. And we're not just one show. We are also part of the Amalgamated Villainy Network. If you go to villains.wtf, you can see all the wide range of shows that we do. And head off to Patreon at patreon.com slash villainy. You can throw us a couple of bucks or a cup of coffee, some really struggling and 
starving artists out there. But also, we'll catch you all next week right here, same bad time, same bad channel. And until then, be excellent to each other. Peace. Peace. <laughs>